word of us in, in our ministry. Uh, we are serving in Cambridge, New York, which is about 35 minutes north of Albany. Uh, it's a small town community out in the country. It's a lot different than here. And uh, <laughs> even, even from where we live, it's, it's a lot different too. So I'm just going to start with a word of prayer and then probably go through these slides. The, the people that live in the, in the cold northeast, as they call it, it's not just because of the temperature. It's the uh, temperature of their souls. Mm. It's cold. And uh, I don't know if you've heard the term frozen chosen, but that's what they call them up there, the frozen chosen. And so when we come together for a church service, we, we sit like this the whole time. And occasionally there'll be someone that puts their hands up and then they get pointed at and made fun of for expressing themselves. So it's a totally different scenario. So I appreciate the fact that um, you guys are willing to worship God from the genuineness uh, of your heart. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for this church, this body of believers that you've called to yourself. We praise you for your, your love for us, your grace, your mercy. We praise you that you, you sent your son to die for us. And we, we give you glory and, and honor and praise for all that goes, uh, that happens in this service today. And I just want to pray that you'd be with me as I share, that I would be clear and concise, that that the, these people would have understanding into what we're doing and into our love for you. And I pray that um, we would just continue to worship you in spirit and truth this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. See, we don't do that. We don't, we don't all say amen together. <laughs> 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 all right, so we're working with an organization called Village Missions. And uh, their slogan there is keeping country churches alive. And so what they do is if there's a church in a, a rural community out in, the, out in the sticks or out in the farmland or out in the prairie, um, and they really want to have a pastor or they really want to continue their ministry and they just don't know how to do it or they don't have the resources to do it, then they can call up Village Missions and Village Missions will come and evaluate them. And if they think they're a good fit, then they can become part of Village Missions, and then Village Missions gets pastors um, to come and uh, partners those those pastors with those churches. They don't just grab anybody off the street. Um, they don't just if someone says I'm a pastor, they don't just grab them. They try to fit you into um, you know exactly what the church is looking for, and then they, they partner you up in the beginning. They provide salary support to the pastor. Uh, we also raise support like a, a missionary and we get health care provided by them and the goal is that eventually the church will be able to pay for the pastor and and, and you work on a on a sliding scale you, you pay all your bills and then you give the village missions whatever you have left over and eventually you get to the point where you can pay for your pastor that's the hope i mean it, it doesn't it doesn't always happen and there's no like timeline where they're like you know if you don't have 50% by three years, then you're out. They, they continue to do it. And once the church becomes self-supporting, then they can um, they continue to tie back to the mission, and it allows for the disciples to continue on and on. This is a picture of our street. This is right in front of our house. We're, we're actually in an apartment, a second-floor apartment. But that's an idea of kind of what the town looks like. That was Last winter, well not this past winter, but the winter before, we had snow on the ground all the time. It was negative 20 degrees when we woke up in the morning. Uh, some days it didn't even get above freezing. Some days it didn't even get above zero. Um, so it was quite a change for us. We, we, we used to live near Atlantic City in South Jersey, and so we were really not anticipating that. We got hammered the first year we were there, and the second year it was not as bad. It was very mild. So. Um, just, just some of the things that you get used to is, is shoveling a lot of snow. We do, we do rent a place, so the landlord took care of it the first year. Ryan signed up to take care of it the second year, and it didn't snow. So, <laughs> but he, he did get a couple, you know, dustings that he was out there shoveling the snowflakes. So, um, 
but many times I was over knocking icicles off of off of old ladies' roofs or shoveling the snow off of people's roofs, you know, three foot high. And it was it was crazy. It, we one time I was up there in a suit and suit and tie and, and boots shoveling the snow off the roof and I said we should have had a picture for that. I could have been like the spokesperson for village missions, but <laughs> the town of, of Cambridge that we live in is about twenty five hundred people. Um, it's, it's actually they call it the village and there are, are hamlets that are kind of that are smaller towns all around and, and all of that is in the town of Cambridge. And in the in the town it's it's primarily white. It's about 95% white. Uh, it was it was a shock for us coming from Atlantic City area to there. I mean, we didn't even recognize it, and then all of a sudden, we saw someone, and we were like, "Whoa!" It, and it, it it really blows your mind because you're not used to it. So, um, <laughs> and and the, the pace of stuff is a lot slower and and, and more relaxed. You know. It's, you go into, we'll, we'll use Chick-fil-A as an example. If you go into Chick-fil-A down here and you don't get your order like that, you want it free, right? Up, oh, up there, they don't even have Chick-fil-A, so <laughs> it's a terrible thing. But, uh, you know, up there, you, you, you wait, and you just, you're okay with it. So it, it's a different pace of life. People are friendly um, on the street. If you walk by someone, they don't put their head down and, and pretend you're not there. They actually say hi, and they, they give you advice, and they... They want to make friends, and, and so that's nice. Uh, in the village itself, there's about uh, nine churches. There's um, Catholic, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, um, and then a, some, some uh, Episcopal, um, a couple uh, charismatic uh, churches, and then some, some like church plants or non-denominationals. And our church is actually not in the village. Our church is out in the country about seven or eight miles. So the slogan for most village missions churches is that uh, the village missions church is the only church in town. But we say we're, we're the only church that's not in town. But we're not. There, there, are, there are other churches. Uh, and and the, the, the temperature of the area is very spiritually poor. It is a very spiritual area, but not in the right way. It's um, very artsy, and uh, there's, a, there's a theater in town. There's a lot of professors. The, you know, deep knowledge is, is appreciated, but um, as far as walking with the Lord, there's not a lot of them. Most of those churches in town have about 20 to 30 people, and they are in these ginormous bu buildings, and, you know, there's a couple, couple pews are full, and that's it. So it's, it's really spiritually poor. So there's a lot of work to be done. This is our church. It's called Whiteside Church. Uh, the, the Whiteside family came over from England in the 1800s, and they climbed up on a tree, and they said, we claim all this land for the Whitesides. And, and they did. And uh, it was all farmland, and then someone in the Whiteside family said, we need a place to worship. And so they gave an acre of land to whoever, and they, they built a church. This isn't the original church in the in the uh, early 80s, late 70s, the church burned to the ground. It's out by itself. You would never even know it was on fire. Um, one guy said that he was uh, there when it burnt down, and he was in the village, and he saw all the fire engines heading out of town and heard the rumor that the church was burning down, and so everybody came to watch. Um, I don't know why, but <laughs> apparently maybe they didn't like it. Maybe it was just something to do. Um, and so it burnt down to the ground, and they decided to rebuild it right in the same spot. They added on this addition here, which is um, offices and has a nice, nice fellowship hall um, in the basement. There's, there's our church sign. When I first got here, we were working on getting a new sign, and uh, we're still working on getting a new sign. So that's how you know small church politics works out in the out in the uh, sticks. And uh, here we go. So. Here's, here's a carriage barn that's still standing behind it. Uh, this is where they used to park their horses back in the day. This is our sanctuary. It's very red. Apparently in the 80s, red was in. Um, and so everything's red. The, you know, the pews, the, the carpet, everything. Uh, there's our, our people really like to eat. So every, every Sunday, there's always something. And once a month, we have potluck. And every so often, we have... 
um, different special dinners and stuff, and, and everybody's excited to eat. They, they want me to stop preaching so they can get down and start eating. <laughs> oh, what did I do? There we go. All right, sorry. I'm not technologically savvy. Here's a picture of uh, some of the scenery. There's a picture. It's kind of hard to see, but the, the scenery never gets old. It's rolling hills and and um, mountains, and and it's ju it's just a, a beautiful area up there. So that part never gets old. But but getting places gets old because there's no straight roads. It's not like you can just jump on the highway and get there. You got to go round and up and down, and that's probably why our transmission is going in our car. <laughs> Uh, this, this is just some of the things that happened uh, in June. We had a balloon festival. This wasn't put on by the church, but it was put on by the town. It's an opportunity to get out in the community and meet people and, and share with them. Um, this was our Memorial Day parade. We closed down the main street and, and uh, go right down the main drag. Um, this is a, a tractor parade. This is something that they do annually. It's called a holiday lighted tractor parade. You have to have a thousand or a thousand lights on your tractor, a thousand lights on your trailer, and they close down Main Street and parade right down the main thing, and and you can decorate your float however. And the local tractor company let us borrow this tractor, and and uh, we borrowed a trailer, and we we had our church in it, and uh, so we did the. Uh, the, tr the true meaning of Christmas. We put a cross right in the middle and decorated it. Instead of having everyone around the Christmas tree, we were all around the cross. Amen. So we didn't get any booze. We thought maybe we'd get booze because of the, the coldness of the people's hearts, but we actually got cheers. So that was that was a good thing. And we had an opportunity to pass out tracts and pass out candy to the kids on the sides of the street. And we prepared about 300 bags, and there was about three to 4,000 people there. So we said, next year we're going to get a ton of it, but now we're hearing that maybe they won't let us do that anymore. So. But we'll find a way. You know, we, we said maybe we would put people on the sidelines doing it you know, as we're on the float and you know, no one would know. I don't know. Is, it, is that okay to be sneaky like that? <laughs> you know, sharing the gospel? It's like smuggling uh, Bibles in your suitcase, right? <laughs> so Another thing that's really big in the area is the Washington County Fair, and they, um, it's all kinds of animals and livestock and, and produce and all kinds of stuff, tractor pulls and, and demolition derbies and all kinds of stuff, and they allow the churches to put uh, displays up and, and they, they vote for them. So this was our church display um, that we put together, and um, this was our Sunday school display that we put together. And this uh, the Sunday school grand one first place, right? And another one's one second place. So just a way to uh, you know get our name out there and get the word out. And um, I believe we put tracks there and they were all gone. So you know you never know the fruit of what you do, but you take every opportunity. This is a picture of a bunch of us. Uh, we we did cookie plat platters and we went out to the uh, people in the community the people who serve, like the fire department, police department, the public works, the uh, banks, different organizations that all serve and don't, and don't really get recognized. Library, that was the main one that was, they were like, oh my goodness, these are for us? Because they're all volunteers and they're neglected, you know, because of, of technology these days. And so they were really excited for that. So we, um, first year I think we did 25 and last year we did like 50 or something. So everyone was really excited about that. We got everybody to make cookies. I mean, it's like $30, $40 cookie trays, and we're just handing them out. So. If I can add, too, we put a tag on there saying the true meaning of Christmas. And inside the cookie trays, we put tracks. We put a lot of schools will rip the tag off. So we put some tracks under the cookie, too, and hope that somebody will pick it up because they're not allowed to actually grab inside of it. But if somebody comes and picks it up, then that's fine. Yeah. Um, no, we're sneaky. We're, we're sneaky. <laughs> Uh, and then, this is a group of, that's a better word, this is a, I should have let her speak. This is a, uh, a group of us out singing uh, Caroline in the Village, another opportunity to, to share the good news with, with people that walk by. Um, and as you notice, we the lady in the middle, if you can see, has a cane. We have a lot of those in our church, a lot of, a lot of older ladies with canes. I mean, that's not a bad thing, uh, just a slower pace of 
of, uh, you know, we can't do like roller skating for a, an event, you know, in a church we have to have to do knitting or crocheting instead. So. And there you go, that's the end. Thank you. Thank you for your support, your prayers, and, um, you know, we really appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's really not about partnering together with us financially. It's really about partnering together with us for the gospel, for the, for the Great Commission, and furthering that. And, and that's a hard thing to, to get across sometimes, because uh, when you're in ministry, a lot of times people think you're all about the money. If they saw the clothes that you wore and the, sh and the cars that you drove and the places that you live and, and all those things, they would know that it's not about the money. But <laughs> but we, need, we, we, we do. We do need the money. But like I, I said to Dwayne as, as we were texting back and forth, that uh, it's God who supplies our needs. Amen. And it's according to his riches and glory. And that's why we have it. And so we, we are always dependent upon him. He uses you and his other resources to provide for us. And, and we're very grateful for that. And, uh, you know, to be honest, we, we couldn't do it without you. And we're, we're, we get paid once a month, which is hard. It's, it's hard to budget off of a one paycheck a month. And then we never know what it's going to be because we get we know that we're getting our, our salary support, but we never know what we're getting on top of that. And the Lord always has a way of supplying. He'll, he'll give us extra when we have something that we need to fix or something that comes up and, and the weeks that we or months that we don't need it, he doesn't you know, there's not as much. Sometimes there's extra, sometimes there's not. So but but he always supplies and and, and that's all we can ask for. Right? So let me, uh, you got, you just tell me when to stop. <laughs> See the one, the one time, it says 99 minutes and 45 seconds. Is that my, is that my limit? It hasn't changed since I've been up here. This is great. One time we had a special, we were having a, what was it, baby shower or something? And I didn't want to go over over time, so I had a timer and I set it at home when I was taking a shower, and I set it for like ten minutes or something, and it went off. And it's like ding, and I was like, oh, that'd be perfect. I put that underneath the pulpit. Nobody will even know. I'll just, I'll only be the one that hears it. Apparently, the more you crank it, the more it dings. <laughs> so I set it for like forty-five minutes to preach, and I was just about done. I was like on my last, you know, my last point or paragraph or whatever. <laughs> and it goes ding, and I'm like, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I tried to play it off. I guess I, I should have somehow fit it into my sermon, but I just kept on going. I, I just ignored it and kept on going. And everybody's like, the, you, the bell doesn't even stop you. <laughs> it's funny though when you when you get up here and you start preaching. I'm sure you you feel it. You just you you, you could go on all day. I mean, I, I get to the end of my notes and and I said. I, didn't, I, I don't think I said anything good. I should add something, and, you know. And it's been forty-five minutes, fifty minutes, or something, and I don't even know. So, before I start, I want to read. Uh, if you want to turn with me, Second Corinthians twelve, uh, verses nine and ten. And the Lord laid this verse on my heart this morning, and for good reason. Verse 9, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That's a that's a powerful verse. That that the, God's grace is sufficient for you, for His strength is made perfect in weakness. So we're supposed to boast in our weaknesses. Mm, wow! Boast in your weaknesses. I mean, that is so countercultural. That is so the opposite of what the world says to us. We're not supposed to boast in our weaknesses. We're supposed to 
hide our weaknesses. We're supposed to cover them up. We're supposed to put them under the rug. We're supposed to hide them in the closet. We're supposed to put them in a place that no one will ever go and ever see. And when we do have a weakness, what are we supposed to do? What does the world tell us to do? Put on a happy face, right? Everything's fine. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. But really inside, I'm just, I'm just wrecked. Really inside, I'm, I'm really struggling. And we're not supposed to share that with others, but in the church we're supposed to do that, but we still don't do it in the church. I, I stand at the back of the church, hey, how are you doing? Oh, great, great. No, how are you really doing? Oh, okay. No, how are you really doing? Well, not so great. Well, how are you really doing? Oh, my world's falling apart. You know, should I have to ask four times to, to get the truth out of them? But that's how I am, too. How are you doing? Well, you know what, if I really fell apart and told some of my problems, they'd probably never ask me again. <laughs> And so we're supposed to boast in our infirmities. We're supposed to boast in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. And, and we're supposed to boast in all of those things for Christ's sake. And this morning, we had some car trouble. I'm supposed to boast in that. I'm boasting that my, my transmission is probably broken. I'm boasting that that's about $7,000 to fix. <laughs> I'm boasting that, you know, we had car trouble in our other car about a month ago. <laughs> so I'm boasting about all these things. It doesn't make me feel good to boast about them. And the other thing about boasting in your infirmities and your, your weaknesses and your troubles is that you start to feel bad about yourself. And then sometimes you want to just have your, a pity party for yourself instead. And hey, who wants to have pity on me? Who wants to be feel sorry for me? Let's get out the little violins and, and have a pretty party for me. There's a lady in my church. She kind of sits, sits down front, and she, she went like this to me one time. Now, to me, that means she wants a tip. That's what I think of. Like that. But apparently, when you go like this, it means the smallest violin in the world playing, you know, having a pity party for you. And so she does that to me sometimes when I'm complaining. And it's, it's a good reminder. <laughs> but little does she know about this verse here. I'm going to I'm gonna go back to Cambridge and I'm going to tell her this verse. You're supposed to boast in your infirmities. You're supposed to boast in your, your reproaches and your, your needs and your, your persecutions. So you should get out a bigger violin and play it for me. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, the last couple um, months, we've been going through the book of Jonah. And I want to share with you a couple of the lessons that I've learned from the book of Jonah. Now, you could probably... Dwayne probably could preach through the book of Jonah in one week. <laughs> Done. We know Tom Allen could do it in about two minutes. And he had it all outlined. That was our professor for homiletics. But, you know, I, I started to read through it. And I said, well, I could do it. I could split it up with the chapters and just do four sermons out of it. And then as I, as I dug into it, I realized this is such a precious book. There's so much in it. And so much that we can learn about Christ through the book of Jonah, and so much we can learn about the character of God, and, and as, we, as we learn more and more about the character of God, we get to know him better than we, we get to understand how we're really supposed to act. You know, initially we, we, we try to kind of Christianize our lives, but we don't really experience life change until we really get to know Jesus, and until we really get to know God and his character, and understand who he is, and understand his grace and his mercy to us. The book of, of Jonah is just saturated in God's mercy. If the world looks in at the book of Jonah, they'll say, man, that's a whale of a tale. And, and man, I don't, I don't, even, I don't even believe that, that that's possible, that that could happen. But in reality, it did. And, and, and it shows God's mercy and his control and his infinite love for his people. And so the first thing that I learned from the book of Jonah is that we are commissioned by God. That we're commissioned by God. And in verses 1 and 2 of Jonah, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah is commissioned 
by God. We're all commissioned by God. If you're familiar with the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, it says, Go therefore into the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Amen? Amen. Amen. But see, we, we can look at that Great Commission and we can say, wow, it's so great. It's so big. It's so lofty. It's, it, it demands so much of me. I, I don't know. I don't think that's for me. I think that's for Dwayne. You guys call him PD, right? You guys call him PD? Is, it, is that police department? Or, or, or what, was, what was the other thing I came up with? I don't know. Oh, Puff Daddy, right? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it's from? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I think that a lot of times we think that a great commission is for those that are great, like PD, right? <laughs> he's, a, he's a great guy. And, and so he should be the one that's going out into the world and preaching the gospel and baptizing and teaching, right? That, that's for him. That's for the elite. That's for the special forces. That's not for, for me, Joe Christian. And that's what we say, right? Yeah. That's the, the great commission. And, and that's, that's too much for me. I, I want the, uh, the subpar commission. Give me the subpar commission. I, I, I want that one. But in reality, it's for all Christians. And it's it's, it shouldn't be called the Great Commission. It should be called the General Commission. Yeah. The General Commission, because it's given to everyone generally. Like, if you're not going to do anything else, just do the Great Commission. Just go into the world, preach the gospel, teach, and baptize. You know, just, just do that. Just, that's it. That's the, that's the General Commission. And then your Special Commission... It's the specific thing that God has called you to do. Yeah. For us, the specific thing that God has called us to do is, is to go to Cambridge, New York, and to preach the gospel, and, and to, to minister at Whiteside Church, for me, as the pastor of the church. But then for all of us to go into the community and to share the gospel right where we are. And a lot of times, God says, go, and other times he says, stay, but go. Yeah. You know, go where you normally go and take the gospel with you and share it right there. You know, sometimes we sit at home and we say, well, I'm just waiting here for God to call me to do something. And I'm just going to sit around and wait until he calls me to do something specific. And there's a whole dying world just surrounding you in your community, your, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers. All of those people need Jesus. And we're sitting there saying, uh-oh, wait for God to call me to do something big. If you want something big, then call it the Great Commission and just do that. We used to do a, a skit. I was involved with camp ministries when I was younger. And we used to do a skit where a, a person was sitting by a phone and they're waiting for God to call. And, and people would come in and ask him to go do something. And they'd say, no, I can't go. I'm waiting for God's call. And they'd be sitting by the phone waiting for God's call. And see, that was probably before we had... You know, a lot of cell phones where you can take the phone with you. But here, you had to get the you had to get the call right at your at your house, and and in the end, you know, the the message was well, you know, God God was calling you to go out and to be with all those people, and you you missed those opportunities because you were waiting for God's specific call in your life. And so, part of Village Missions. Their slogan, beyond keeping church, country churches alive, is to preach the word and to love the people. And that's their goal. Preach the word and love the people. I mean, that's really the Great Commission summed up in, in less words. Preach the word and love the people. Now, is that easy? No. It's easy. It's easy to think about. Right. It's easy to do if you're going to love the people the way that you want to love them. But if you need to love the people with Christ's love, it's a, it's a little harder sometimes. Mm -hmm. yeah. To love them even when they are mean to you, 
even when they say bad things about you, even when they stab you in the back, even when they uh, push you in front of the the uh, bus when he's going into the mud puddle and they push you over so you get all the, the mud on you. You know, in, in, even when there's there's broken relationships, even whatever, you, you fill in the blank to to the, um, the distresses and things that you go through in dealing with people. Even in those times, to still love them like Christ loves them, that's hard. But if you see yourself in those people, and you see the way that God loves them, it makes it a little bit easier. I, I say a lot of times, you hear people saying that they deserve better. Have you ever heard someone say that? I deserve better than this. I deserve to be treated better, to be treated differently. And you know what I say? Well, if you got what you deserved, then you'd have death. You'd be separated from God. You'd be lost. You'd be worse off than you are today. So be grateful for what you have. So it's it's hard to preach the word and love the people. For me as a pastor, it's easy for me to preach the word. But when I have to love the people, when I have to love the people, even though I'm, I'm up front preaching the word, and I feel like it would be better if I had a sledgehammer and I was whacking them over the head with it, maybe they would understand it better. I actually said to him one time that I'd like to just get out there and grab you and shake you, and then I realized that's probably not a good thing to say. But, you know, I'm just starting out, so I, there's grace, right? Grace for the, for the mistakes that you make. There should be. There should be grace, extra grace for the, for the new guy. So if I say anything, then just tell PD about it. <laughs> and so at the end of our candidate school, they said to us, uh, we're going to ask you two questions, and we need to know the two right answers. And the two questions were, will you go anywhere in the country that God sends you? And the second question was, what is our mission? What is, what is our purpose as a mission? And so at the end, they, they actually separated us, me, me and, and my wife Sherry. They separated us in two separate rooms so that way they could get an honest answer from both of us, I guess, and said, are you willing to go wherever God sends you? And we both said yes. And then, which that was hard, to go wherever? What if, what if I mean, we, we lived on the, on the East Coast. What if, they, what if God called us to the West Coast? What if God called us to the Midwest? What if he called us to Alaska or Hawaii? Well, Hawaii wouldn't be bad, but Alaska. <laughs> You know, what if he called us to, to like some some the Badlands or something? I don't know. Somewhere crazy. It would have been it would have been crazy, but he said, we'll, we'll go wherever you want us to go. And then the uh, the second question was, you know, what's the what's the purpose statement? What's the mission of, of the mission? And it, it's to preach the word and love the people. Now I like to joke around, so um, it was the assistant director of the mission who was interviewing me. And we had kind of poked fun at each other kind of throughout the, the week that we were out there. So I said to him that the, the mission is to preach at the people and love the word. And he about fell out of his chair because he thought it was um, pretty funny. But, you know, that, that would be easy. I mean, as, as a preacher, to just love the word and preach at the people, that is, that's, that's like a dream come true for a, for a preacher, but, but maybe for a pastor, for one who shepherds, for her, one who leads the flock, for one who builds into people's lives, you gotta, you got to take one with the other. You, you have to, and, and you want to see people grow and, and be nourished in those things. And so what my, the first sermon that I preached in Jonah, what, the title of it was, when God says go, and we say no. Have you ever experienced that? God said, and you know, hey, there's a guy back there saying no. <laughs> we should call him up front and cross-examine him. <laughs> yeah. When God says go, and we say no, up to the point where we came into Village Missions, that was me. God was saying, go, 
I always knew that he wanted me to be a, a pastor. And, and even going through college and seminary, I kind of was skirting around that head, head pastor, lead pastor kind of, of, of idea. And I was thinking, well, maybe I'll be a youth pastor or a, you know, pastor of small groups or a pastor of just anything where I don't have all that responsibility. You know, just, just let me do what I enjoy doing without the responsibility. And there was very, there was a lot of me that wanted to be in New Jersey, in the location that I was. I didn't want to go, if it, if it meant leaving my family, I didn't want to go. If it meant going to some place I had never been, I didn't want to go. Why couldn't God allow me to do what I wanted to do where I wanted to do it? I mean, was that, I didn't think it was that, that much to ask for. I mean, I, I was being obedient to him in, in those you know, in some of the things that he asked me to do, why, why couldn't he just bless me where I was and not? But, you know, of course, that wasn't, that wasn't his plan. And so I, I always, many times I said no. I would even say no sometimes when I would feel him prodding me to just share the gospel to someone that I knew. Oh, no, I'll do it later. And, and, and that's one of the big issues of sharing or of, of doing your ministry where you're comfortable is that you just get extra comfortable. Mm -hmm. And you say, well, we'll get to that conversation when it comes. Well, I'll, I'll share the gospel. With, I'll tell them the truth when it comes. Mm -hmm. And what happens? We never get around yeah. to sharing the gospel. Oh, my Lord. And so when God says go, and we say no, what happens? If you look through the book of Jonah, we see that, that God pursues us with his mercy. He pursues us with his mercy. You know, if you ask the world to look at the book of Jonah, they'll say that it's a book of, jo of judgment. It's a, it's a book of, of God uh, disciplining and punishing Jonah for not doing what he asked him to do. But in reality, it's a book of mercy. The, the best place to be is drowning in the sea of God's mercy. And we see the sovereignty of God. We see his control. We see his hand in everything that he did. In, in verse 4 of chapter 1, it says that the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. Jonah just forgot about his problems. He, he, ran, he was running from God and he just said, eh, don't worry about it. I'm going down in the bottom of the ship. You guys deal with it. So the cap captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. See, right there, he said, they said to him, they asked him a question, How are you doing, Jonah? But they probed with a bunch of specific questions. And Jonah just said, I'm just I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. He didn't say, I'm the guilty party here. It's all my fault. The whole reason that we have this storm, it's all my fault. He didn't say that. He just said, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. It's crazy. He he didn't admit to his faults. He didn't he didn't um he didn't plead for mercy. He didn't um, boast in his infirmities. He should have been in that moment, but he didn't. And the, the, the amazing thing is that God prepared the storm. God prepared the wind. God prepared the ship. God prepared the, um, the men that were on that ship. God prepared the sailors. The, the amazing thing is that Jonah was fleeing from sharing the gospel with heathen people. He was fleeing from sharing the gospel, sending God's mercy 
to people that he thought didn't deserve it. He was, he was fleeing from warning those in sin that if they didn't repent, God's judgment would come upon them. He was fleeing from those things, and yet as he entered onto that ship, he met those heathen people face to face. And in a sense, he shared the gospel with those people on the ship because he said, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God. He's the one that's causing this problem. He, he's the one that is bringing this upon me in his mercy and love because he wants me to do what he's called me to do. I don't know if Jonah understood that at that time, but the Lord used him to minister to these people. And even though he was such a guilty party, he was, he was accused by the storm, he was accused by the wind, he was accused by the, the uh, casting of the lots, Everything was stacked against him, and yet these, these men on the ship, they just wanted to do anything they could to save him. And it's an amazing thing, because many times, us as Christians, we should be doing all we can to save others. Well, of course, we know we don't save them. It's the work of, of Christ in their lives. But we should be putting all of our effort into them coming to know Christ, into um, showing them their sin, into showing them God's love. We should, we should do all we can. Paul says that he became all things to all men so that he might win one. Became all things to all men so that he might win one. Get, get one person that you know that doesn't know Jesus and, and put their picture up on your wall and become all things to all men so that you can win that one. And then when that one is saved, you put another picture up there and you become all things to all men so that you can win that one. If, if that was Jonah's philosophy, he wouldn't have been running. And if that was Jonah's philosophy, even if he was running, well, he wouldn't have run, but even if he would have run, he would have share the gospel with those men on the ship. But it's amazing that the, those men on the ship, they wanted to do everything they could to save him. When he was doing everything he could to kill them. It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. We, we see so much irony in the book of Jonah. And we can see ourselves in the failed prophet. That's what I like to call him, the failed prophet. Prophet of God, he should have known better. Prophet of God, intimate relationship with the Lord, should have known better. And it's interesting to see the contrast between verse 2 and chapter 1. God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And then, in chapter 3, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. In the beginning, it seems like God was going to judge. And after he had dealt with Jonah, after he had poured out his mercy upon him, verse 2 of chapter 3, Arise, and go to that great city and preach to it the message that I tell you. Now cry out and preach to it. They, they both have a uh, similar idea. But the one is crying out against it. The other is preaching to it. I can see the mercy of God in chapter 3, verse 2. And I can see his judgment in chapter 1, verse 2. And if it hadn't been for, for Jonah and, and for his rebellion, maybe the people of Nineveh would have received judgment. But because of the work that God did in Jonah's life, through, through all of that turmoil in the sea, through all of that time on the ship, God brought Jonah to the bottom of himself. He threw him overboard. 
He sunk to the bottom. He got to the bottom of himself. There was nothing else he could do. He couldn't rely on himself anymore. He's drowning in the sea. Somehow, God prepares a, 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 a um, fish for him. Somehow, God preserves his life. And as he's sinking in the bottom of the ocean, probably hoping that he will die, he comes to the bottom of himself and he realizes this whole thing's not about me. This whole thing is about God and what he wants to accomplish. And so in the belly of the whale, in chapter 2, he preaches the gospel to himself. And, and verse is 8 and 9 of chapter 2, it says, Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. And that's where Jonah found himself. He was regarding worthless idols. He was putting himself on the throne. He was living a, a life of self-righteousness, thinking that he was the only one that deserved God's grace and mercy. He, he was living a life of prejudice because he thought that the Israelites were the only ones that deserved God's mercy and that anyone who came against Israel should be struck down and killed. That's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. Because he knew what God would do. He knew that God would have mercy on them. And he, and he was very prideful. You know, and I, and I think about all those things and I say, man, I hope that I don't deal with I hope that I don't struggle with those things in my life. life. I hope that I'm not self-righteous. I hope that I'm not selfish. I hope that I'm not prejudiced. I hope that I'm not prideful. And as people are looking at me, I hope that they don't see that in me. But guess what? I know that it is in me. And I know that only by the grace of God do I sometimes keep it under, under wraps. But there's some times when I look at people and I say, you know what, someday they're going to get what they deserve. And then I have to step back and think about myself and say, wait a minute, if I got what I deserve, I would be dead. I would be in, in misery because there'd be no way for me to get to God. There'd be no way for me to have freedom from my sins if it wasn't for the grace of God. I got what I deserve. And so I shouldn't be out there prejudging people. A lot of times we don't share the gospel with people because we prejudge them. That person will never come to know Christ. That person is too bad. That person is, is too indwelled in their sin. They, their, their, their mother was that way. Their father was that way. Their grandma was that way. Their granddad was that way. Everybody was that way. A whole line of... But guess what? It only takes one. It only takes one to, to stop that cycle. Yes. And we need to be faithful to share with people based on the grace of God. Amen. Only the grace of God in people that even makes them tolerable and bearable. You guys are going to take offense to that, right? I'm saying hanging out with you is only made possible by the grace of God. <laughs> and it's true. It's true. Are you going to depend on God? Yes. Or are you going to depend on others? depend on others, guess what? They're going to fail you. They're going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you. But if you trust in God and the grace of God to make that individual bearable, to make that individual more like Christ, then he's going to do it. And it's going to be an amazing thing. And the last thing that I learned from the book of Jonah. Well, not the last thing, because there was many things. But the last thing I'm going to share this morning is that God is the main character. God's the main character of the book of Jonah. See, we can look at the book of Jonah and see all of Jonah's failures and see his sins and see his, his character traits that, that were flawed. And we can say, man, if, if, if I'm anything like Jonah, then how is God going to use me? How is he going to be able to, to use me as, as anything? If, if, if I'm like him and I'm a, a failure. But it's about God. And we know this from chapter 4, verse 2. And it says this, well, we see in verse 1, that Jonah is displeased exceedingly because he preaches the gospel to Nineveh and they repent. And he's upset about that. It's like, wait a minute, you're a prophet of God. 
this is your job to share the gospel with people and you get upset when they repent crazy so he's upset and he becomes angry and he prays to the Lord in his anger and he says ah Lord was not this what I said when I was still in my country therefore I fled previously to Tarshish for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness one who relents from doing harm and as believers in Christ as those who have been saved from sin I, I think we should all say amen amen, amen. amen. thank you Lord that you're, you're a gracious and merciful God that you're slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness one who relents from doing harm because if it wasn't for your grace and your mercy and your loving kindness and your slowness to anger I would be a lot worse off yeah God is the main character, and it's all about him, and, and we can bank on what he is going to do because we know that his character is perfect and pure. And instead of being upset when he does what he has to do based on his character, we should rejoice in it. We should be grateful. We should be thankful. So the idea is that we shouldn't focus on Jonah as the failed prophet. We shouldn't look at all of the things that he did and or didn't do. As, as we prayed this morning, the, the sins of commission and omission, Jonah had a lot of them. And he didn't do very well. And he didn't, he didn't want to repent from those things. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't focus in on the failures. We shouldn't focus in on the man, but we should focus in on Jesus. The one who, the, the obedient prophet. The one who gave his life up for us. The one who in the garden prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And God said, go to earth and become a human. And live a, a sinless and spotless life and, and share with the people and, and allow them to, to persecute you and to, to beat you and to mock you and discourage you and, and to, to even to put you on the cross and, and kill you for something that you're innocent of. When, when God showed him what he would go through, he still willingly came. And God said, go. Jesus said yes. And in Philippians chapter 2, we're supposed to have that mindset too. It, it says that we're supposed to have the mind of Christ, who even though he was in the form of God, he didn't think it was robbery to be, or, you know what, I need to look at it. You know what happens when you, when you memorize verses in different translations? You mix them all up. <laughs> all right, two five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that is the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father so we're supposed to model Christ to not think that we're better than others to not think that we deserve more than others to not put ourselves up on a pedestal and and, and have everybody worship us, but to be okay with living a humble life, to be okay with putting ourselves aside and putting Christ first in our lives, to be empty vessels that Christ can live through. In Matthew 12, the Pharisees are looking for a sign from Jesus, and they say, Jesus, give us a sign, and he says, 
that I've already given you a sign, and it's the sign of Jonah. How Jonah came and preached repentance to the Ninevites, and how they turned from their ways, and how God's mercy flooded on them, and how he saved that city. And he says that don't just look at that sign of Jonah, but look beyond Jonah to the better Jonah, to Jesus, who came and is right in front of you. As he talked with the Pharisees, he says, I'm right here, and I'm doing the same exact thing. I'm preaching repentance to those who are lost in their sin. And if you turn, you can have a relationship with me. If you turn, you can experience the grace and the mercy of God. And your lives will be changed. So look for no other. There's nothing greater is going to come down the block. I'm it. The Pharisees, in their self-righteousness, in their worship of self, being in the same shoes as Jonah was at a time, being so in love with their own people and their own selves, they couldn't see it. And instead of worshiping the king, they put the king on the cross. And he died. For their sins. He died for the very sins of those who put him on the cross. The scripture says that even though we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you can just imagine with me the impact that Jonah had. The failed prophet, Jonah. He reluctantly went and preached the gospel to the Ninevites. The scholars say that there was most likely about 600,000 of them. And in one day, he went across the entire city and preached the gospel. One day of preaching. And because God is in control, because he's sovereign, because of his hand in our lives, because he not only prepared the ship, and he prepared the storm, and he prepared the wind, and he prepared, prepared the Phoenician sailors, and he prepared the uh, sea of his mercy, and he prepared the, the great fish, and he controlled the great fish and got him to spit him out, and he prepared, he also prepared the hearts of the Ninevites, so that when Jonah would go and preach, they would, an entire city would repent. Those wicked, heathen, no good Ninevites, when they heard the truth, they repented. And there's stories about the Ninevites and the things that they did. Cruel. They used to take the Israelite skin and rip it off their bodies and 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 cover their their tables and their their houses and, and stuff with them. They used to bury the people in the sand and, and with just their heads sticking out of the ground. And, and that's how they would die, because it tortured to death. I mean, they, they just would go crazy because you have an itch on your body and you're buried in the sand. You can't, you can't do anything about it. I mean, these people were the worst of the worst. And Jonah, the, the failed prophet, the, the reluctant prophet, went and preached to them one day and the whole entire city repented. And they, they didn't just repent, but they got on their faces before God. They put on sackcloth and ashes, and they said, maybe, maybe, maybe God will see our efforts, and maybe he'll turn from what he wants, the judgment he wants to bring upon us. They didn't even know it was a shot in the dark. But it was because of that one day that one reluctant prophet even against his his gut feeling did what God asked him to do and 600,000 people came to know the Lord so it's just to be faithful 
That's really what God is calling us to do. To be faithful, not just to the Great Commission, but to the Great Commandment. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love God with everything that you are. And when you begin to love God with everything that you are, they send the fire engines down the street yes. to interrupt the sermon yes. and make you lose your train of thought. You still got 99 minutes and 45 seconds to go. When you love God with all that you are, you get to know God for all that he is. And then you don't want any love for yourself anymore. You don't want any of that junk in your life. And so you empty yourself and you say, Lord, I'm an empty vessel. Come fill me up. Come use me to do your will. Come flood through me. Come make these dry bones live again. Come breathe life into me. And use me for your honor and glory. But we can't stop there because the second greatest commandment is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor the same way that you love God. That's right. Allow Christ's love to pour out of you into the lives of others. Be a living sacrifice for him. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Does anybody know? It would be the same response at my church. <laughs> but no one would be thinking. They'd say, well, we're not allowed to speak in church. <laughs> not my rules. Not, not my rules, but that's the, the, the uh, frozen chosen rules, I guess. Frozen chosen rule book. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's what John Piper says. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And, and, and the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You put those two together, it's set, right? But the bottom line is just to be faithful. Whatever God's called you to do, wherever he's placed you. You know, we might be sitting by the phone waiting for that grand call of God. And he just says, hey, your neighbor's right out there. You can share the gospel with him. Hey, your co-worker in your cubicle. You can share the gospel with him or her. Hey, you know, the, the kids that you're, that your, your kids play with other kids. Share the gospel with the parents. When the people come into your home, share the gospel with them. When you're at the grocery store, share the gospel. I know it's easier said than done. Because I'm there too. You know, I, I talked to some of my other friends. I said, how can we be intentional about sharing the gospel? How, what kind of programs can I develop? What kind of things can I do? It's not about those programs. It's not about those things I can do. It's just about allowing Christ to live outside of me, about getting over myself thinking that I'm that important that I can't stop for a minute and share the gospel with the, the lost and dying world. I'm sure you've heard the illustration, it's like having cancer, and or, or having the cure for cancer, and seeing all these people dying of cancer and never sharing with them. Right. We've got the cure for death, which all of these diseases end in that. We've got the cure for death and we don't want to share it. So, just be faithful. Right where you are. To do what he's called you to do. One of my friends said to me, you know, Andrew, you might just be at this church. Well, two friends said things to me. One of them said, you might just be at this church to bury everyone. Which, morbid thought, I guess, but that's the way you get a younger congregation is by burying the older ones. But... <laughs> From natural causes, of course. <laughs> but the shouldn't have said that. That is what one one of my fellow pastors said. It's this quote from him. So it wasn't PD. It wasn't. 
The other one said, um, you might just be there for the work that God wants to do in your life. And that was an interesting thought. Because before I preach a message, it's preached to me first. Before I share it with others, I have to deal with it in my own life. And so I'm excited for what God's going to do in my life. I'm excited to just be faithful and see where that goes. No matter what comes in my life, I'm going to boast in my infirmities. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses so that the power of God can flow out of me. And I pray that each of you will grab onto that, that vision too. We'll grab onto that, that purpose to be faithful to the, the great commandments and the great commission. To, to go out and to be willing vessels to be used for God's glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.